Another hand for Carlo. He's my buddy. Carlos. Carlos awesome, man. You guys are... Is everybody awake this morning? Pretty good? Thanks for coming uh, to church, at, uh, and you've already, you're reclined, you're ready to fall asleep. It's wonderful, and uh, <laughs> it's has got their popcorn. I love it. Uh, I, I didn't tell this the first uh, service, but my first job was in a movie theater. That was my first job, and so this is like going back in time. That's where I met my wife. Movie theater is a dumb job. It's a dumb, big dumb job. I had my vest and my bow tie and my butter stains all over the shirt, and I was sweeping up popcorn and tearing tickets. And it was a dumb job. Here's why it's dumb. Does anybody know this about, if you work fast food, they prank you at fast food places if you're the new person. Does anybody know this? They give you jobs that aren't real jobs to see if you'll fall for it. And I didn't grow up pranking people. People think if you're a comedian, you're a big prankster. You know, you're a big practical joker. I didn't get in prank wars with people as a kid. And I still don't. Because you don't know how far that person's willing to go. Right? That's information you need. You ever be in a prank war with somebody and it's going along nice and they go psycho on you? Jump a level? That happens. You're like, I put cheese whiz on your door handle. Like, I put shaving cream on your mirror. You're like, I TP'd your yard. They're like, I poisoned your ferret. What? (laughs) I don't have a ferret. But this was, I worked at the movie theater, okay, so they had the clipboard. And this kid's probably 18. I was 17. It was my first job, you know? I was this dumb little homeschooled kid. My first job outside the house. And he's like, Johnny, you're new. You need to fill up the straw machines, fill up the napkin machines. And then get a five-gallon bucket of water, meet me up here. I was like, all right. I thought I was going to be mopping the floor or whatever. I go get this five-gallon bucket of water, bring it up. He goes, you're new, so it's your turn to fill up the drinking fountains. (laughs) Guys, I'm not proud of it. (laughs) But I did it. That's not a good first day at your job, by the way, if you're wondering. When your manager comes around the corner and sees you slowly pouring five gallons of water down the drain of an automatic water fountain. You know what he's not thinking? That guy's going to run this place one day. He is not thinking that. <laughs> it was a big, dumb job. My second big, dumb job was at the movie. Uh, I worked at the movie theater, then I worked at Home Depot. Had to get a second job. I was getting married. Anybody work at Home Depot? That's a, that's a, it's not a dumb job. I was dumb. The job, they should not have hired me. I did not grow up around tools. I know it's Father's Day, and we'll talk a little bit about this later. I didn't grow up with a, that kind of dad. I didn't learn about tools. They threw me right on the sales floor, and I didn't know anything. So if you go in there in Home Depot and you're asking these kids about, you know, what to do with your electricity in your house or your plumbing, just know they don't know. They're going to burn down your house. I didn't know, and I told people things. I should not have told them. But because it says it on the, they give you this apron your first day, big orange apron, and they give you a marker to write your name on it. It's like they're saying, look, we ain't even going to waste a name tag on you, okay? This probably ain't going to work out. And I did, and so, but it has it on the apron. Home Depot, you can do it. And we can help. And uh, the people be coming in with these questions. I'd be thinking, look, I have no idea if you can do it. But I'm almost positive I can't help. But they come in every day. And maybe you do this too. You walk in, you're holding the part you're looking for in your hand, walking in. You need to stop doing that, okay? Every day somebody would come in. It'd be different every day, like a bolt or a wire, a piece of plumbing. They'd be like, hey, uh, where would a man find one of these? I'd be like, you got one right there. <laughs> I go, I go on break. And so that's what I would do. They'll fire you for that. Um, 
But that was my big dumb job. But uh, I am a comedian now. I love traveling. Uh, I love being uh, in the South again. I'm, I'm a Tennessee boy, and so it's good to be in Tennessee again. I was in Wisconsin uh, a couple weeks ago. Wisconsin people. Oh, Wisconsin people here? I love Wisconsin people. They're sweet. First of all, they offer you cheese curds all day. They're fascinated with cheese curds, and they think that you just want cheese curds. All You can try the cheese curds. Try the cheese curds. If you had some cheese curds, you're like, man, this is a bank. Put them in the tube. Put them in the tube. Send them over. But the second thing about Wisconsin people is they think they don't have an accent, and they think that my accent is adorable. This lady's like, your accent is precious. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Tennessee. She was like, do you date your sister? That's what she said. I was like, no, we broke up. I'm kidding, guys. We're still together. You make it work in Tennessee. You stay. Focus on the family. That's what we say. Did everybody get that? That's going to get it? Okay. Move on. I've learned this. 50 50 states, 48 states I've done comedy in of the 50, okay? I'm only missing Hawaii and Vermont. I don't think it's going to work out for those two. But I've been 48 states of the 50, 10 years of comedy, and this is what I've learned. No matter where you're from, there's an area more backwards than you that you can point to, right? I know we got people from all over because it's a military town. That we need, it's a coping skill we all have. There's every, everybody's always got somebody that's worse off, okay? Like Tennessee, we need it. We're near the bottom in education. We are. We're like, yeah, we are bad, but what about those slack-jawed yokels in Alabama? Good grief. They're the worst. <laughs> then Alabama's like, yeah, but come on, Mississippi. They can barely read. <laughs> Mississippi's like, yeah, but Paraguay. That is, that's a good point. But I love traveling. It's my favorite part of the job. Uh, it is. I, I, uh, we go, I got to see Iowa for the first time uh, last month. I, okay. Has anybody been to Iowa? Guys, if you get a chance to go to Iowa, go ahead and skip it. Here's the deal. <laughs> Save you a trip. <laughs> Iowa people are sweet, but it's a weird place. And I'm only judging Iowa by the weirdest thing I saw that. I was on a tour bus with another comedian. We're driving along, looking out the window. We see a funeral home, okay? The funeral home sign said this, now offering double-decker grave plots. I said, you pull this bus over right now. I got questions. We get out. The guy was digging the hole. I go, perfect. I'll ask you, what do you mean double-decker? He goes, well, we go 10 feet down instead of just six. We go 10. Then we put the first person in, you know? Then we put four feet of dirt, And then I guess they wait. (laughs) And I want to be there when that second person goes in, you know, so I can be like, king me. You know what I'm saying? I just need, that's, that's your best move in the cemetery. After that, you can go wherever you like. That's in the rules. Why stop at 10 feet, go 20 feet down, put your whole family, just play connect four. Do whatever you like in Iowa. (laughs) I told that joke in a little Baptist church last week. It did not go well. This lady came to the front after the show. I would never have a double-decker grave plot, sir. I'm like, ma'am, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. She's like, I'm not offended, but my husband's not saved, you know? So if I die first, then they put him on top, then the dead in Christ try to rise, he's blocking me. And that is just... (laughs) That's just physics, y'all. That is science, so... (laughs) But it's great to be here. I love doing Sunday morning services. I grew up in a church where we didn't laugh a lot, you know? It wasn't okay to laugh. You came to church to feel bad about what you'd done, you know? 
And I think it's so cool that we can get together and laugh on a Sunday morning, man. We're supposed to be the most joyful people. But my church wasn't like that. You know, you, the more miserable you looked, the closer they thought you were to God. You'd see some guy in the corner look like he'd been sucking on green persimmons for about an hour. Be like, he must really know Jesus. It's sad. We ought to be the, we ought to be the ones that have the most joy. And sometimes it's not true, man. I, I, just, uh, I grew up in church, though. My mom uh, was a, a very faithful a believer in Jesus, and so we went to church. And church was non-negotiable when I was a kid. Anybody grow up with that, Mom? She was like, you're going to church, you know? And I was Pentecostal. You can't even fake out sick of Pentecostal church, you know? Be like, Mom, I don't feel good. I got a sore throat. Fine, we'll go down for healing. Dang it! I don't want to get healed. I want to watch cartoons. I got to get healed. But, but it was cool, man. She was a little judgmental, you know? I learned that later in life. I was like, maybe she was a little bit on the judgmental side. I remember one time in youth group, you know, one of my friends got a tattoo, you know, I was like, this is cool. I want to get some tattoos. Like my friends, mom, what do you think of that? She was like, that is so neat. Where are you going to live? So that was a cool conversation <laughs> that we got to have. But I did love growing up. I loved children's church growing up. It was the best. Children's church. Then you get to big church, you know. Big church was like stiff and different. It was a big group of people. There's not a good transition sometimes for, from children's church to big church, you know. None of the songs have hand motions. That's a bummer. And they're not just teaching your kids about Jesus in there. They're teaching them life lessons. Then they get in here. Sometimes we undo the whole thing. It confuses them. Like in there, they're like, hey, we don't talk to strangers. It's not safe. Don't talk to strangers. Don't do it. Then they get in here. What's the first thing your pastor says? Shake hands with somebody that you don't know. (laughs) Sure about this. (laughs) We did... uh, we did Trunk or Treat, our children's ministry. We did Trunk or Treat for Halloween. You guys know what that's about, Trunk or Treat? I think it's great, man. Reach your community. Do whatever you got to do. But it was awesome watching my pastor explain it the week before to the older folks in the congregation. He was like, we know we don't live in the same time that we grew up in. You know, we can't be out there knocking on strange people's doors. It's not safe. What we're going to do? We're going to get all the automobiles in the parking lot in the dark decorate them, and we're going to teach kids that car trunks may be full of delicious candy. It's not. That sounds terrifying. And why is it trunk or treat? Okay, why is it or? Not trunk and treat. Why is it or? Makes it sound like you've got a 50% chance of making it out of there alive. We've flipped a coin, you got the trunk. Slam! Go back in there deeper, Jimmy. Get some candy. Climb in there. Shake hands with somebody you don't know. It's weird. <laughs> but this is awesome. And you guys have the cool worship team in the front here, man. And you got your bulletproof, uh, <laughs> bulletproof glass. This is a bad neighborhood, I guess. I understand. I've been to Clarksville before. Some, a lot of churches are going cage-free now, but you guys do whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> we put a lid on top of ours. You ever see churches that do that? It's like a room. He's just in an aquarium at that point. It's not even fair. I don't know what you guys do, but I lift up the lid between songs, sprinkle some flakes in there. That's what I do. Two more verses, buddy. Hang in there. Don't tap the glass. It spooks him. But, but I do. I love it. And I, I love the different styles. You guys have such a cool worship team. I grew up, you know, in the worship team. My church, you know, that we always had that one lady that wanted to sing a special. Remember people singing specials in church? I don't know if anybody grew up like that, but a lot of these specials uh, were not that special. <laughs> Some of them were abominations. Um, but, I mean, you got to audition, you know, uh, in Nashville, uh, where I live, man, you got to audition to play and sing, you know. It wasn't like that when I grew up. I grew up in a small town, East Tennessee. 
Anybody that wanted to get on stage and screech for the Lord, we had to let them. We had to show mercy. You know, we just mute their channel. You know, we'd unplug them. <laughs> they wouldn't know. Is this thing on? It sounds great. You sound great, Sister Mildred. Shouldn't there be a cord coming out of this? No, you sound amazing. <laughs> but, but I love the different styles, you know. That's the cool, the different styles of worship, you know. I read about this, Oklahoma, okay? Uh, this was a church in Oklahoma. They were kind of a tambourine kind of church like my church growing up. We were Pentecostal. You're very much in danger during worship in my home church growing up of being hit by a banner, tambourine, or a lady running in circles. You ever have that lady run in circles in your church? I was 10 years old when I first saw that. Sister Juanita, she just took off. I was like, what's she doing? My mom said, I'll tell you later. I said, I need to know now. She said, she's doing a Jericho march. She's doing a Jericho march. I was 10 years old. I said, hadn't she read that story? It didn't go too good for Jericho. Somebody tackle her. Are these load-bearing walls? It was bad. I can always tell who laughs at that of who'd read their Bible. It's okay. <laughs> Y'all are all right. But I don't know, man, but I did. But this church in Oklahoma, like I said, man, they were tambourine kind of church. They had tambourines on the front row. Visitor lady comes in, grabs a tambourine. She jumped up on the pew, started. She was distracting people. I guess she wasn't very good at the tambourine, you know. I don't know how you mess up tambourine playing, but she did. I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess that it was a white lady. Anyway, just based on my experiences. Anyway, the usher comes down, asks her to stop playing. I don't know what your policy is here when you have unruly people, you know. Do you come in with those little light, those little light up wands that they have like the movie theater ushers? I don't know what you do. But this church was different, man. They, uh, they asked her to stop playing politely. She said no. She wouldn't stop. They escorted her out into the lobby where they pepper sprayed and tasered her. They did. <laughs> They don't play around in Oklahoma, y'all. And my favorite part of the story was what the guy said about the lady he just tased. This really happened. He said, well, she wasn't acting very Christianly. <laughs> I was like, what Bible are you reading, pal? <laughs> well, it says right here in Psalms, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. <laughs> but stay ye on the beat, or we shall electrocute thee. And it's right there, guys. That's... That's in the Message Bible, and uh, it's in there. But I don't know. But you guys are great. And I was asking Carlo before about, like, uh, Pastor Carlo, tell me about your children's ministry. And, and I was trying to find out how you check in your kids and all that, because we do that at my church now. You know, I work in the nursery when I'm off the road. I'm on the road about 200 days a year now. But when I'm home, we try to plug in. It's important to plug into your church, not just take from your church, but give back. It's important. So we try to give back. We work in the nursery. Anybody work in the nursery with the babies? This is the best place to start. If you're thinking about giving back, start in the nursery like we did because these babies cannot rat you out if it all goes wrong. <laughs> if you're a parent, I hand you back a crying baby. It's like, look, maybe I dropped him. Maybe he's a brat. Like, you don't get to judge me. This is church. And we're a sticker church. You guys started tagging your kids like they're in the wild, didn't you? That's what we do. We put these stickers on them. I didn't know what it was about. My pastor had to explain it to me. He's like, Johnny, it's a security thing. The parent gets a, you know, the sticker. They put it on the kid, and it's got the kid's name, a little code. The parent gets a piece of paper with that same code. They come back after church to claim their child like it's a coat check. Wonderful. Like it's valet parking. Pull him around. Thanks so much. He's the blonde one. It's weird. And parents lose that piece of paper at my church. You guys ever have that happen? I don't know what your church, your policy is here at one church, okay? But I don't put up with that mess in my nursery. You come back without that piece of paper, I'm like, I'm sorry. We're keeping him. 
<laughs> he works for Jesus now. You knew the risks. They're like, you know me, that's my son. I just dropped him off. I'm like, sir, without the receipt, okay? The best I can do is store credit. <laughs> and then I let him pick out a child of equal or lesser value. <laughs> we give out so many redheads, y'all. You can't imagine. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's fine. They come with sunblock. It's okay. <laughs> but I don't know, man. But I'd, like I said, I grew up in church, and I don't know. I, lo I love it, man. And I love getting to do uh, events at churches. And, but we travel all around. It's so fun. And my wife gets to go with me sometimes. People want to know that. Does your wife travel with you on the road? And she does sometimes. Uh, she works a, a job during the week. I don't want to drag her all around the country. So we pick out trips. I'll put the calendar out, and we'll go over it together. It's like, what do you think? And she'll pick one she likes. You know, like uh, last month, she was like, where are you going? I was like, I got this eight-day cruise to Alaska. You know, we get, all, we get to be on this boat, and I go, you can come. She's like, let's do it, you know. So this week, she was like, where are you headed? I was like, Clarksville, Tennessee. She was like, I'll see you when you get back. So <laughs> just a, <laughs> I'm just being serious. She's pretty honest. No, um, she's actually in Hawaii. She's in Hawaii right now without me with her sister. Oh, my gosh. But I'm here with you guys, so it's, just, it's about the same. Uh, it's about the same. <laughs> but... Uh, but I do love my wife. I'm going on 23 years of marriage. I'm pretty proud of that. Married people in the house this morning make some noise. Love being married. People, people dig on marriage too much, especially comedians. You know, they talk about their wife terrible. My wife's awesome, man. She puts up with a lot. I'm a snorer. Anybody married to a snorer? Anybody married? Okay. A couple of guys raised their hands. She's like a freight train. Pray for me. <laughs> I, my snoring's getting so bad, I was worried about it. My wife, she says, I had to sleep in the next room. You got so loud last night. I felt bad. I was like, I want to be close to you. That's awful. And I started getting worried I have sleep apnea because I was reading about that. People are dying from sleep apnea. I said, do I have apnea? She's like, I don't know what that is. I said, do I stop breathing in the middle of the night? She's like, no, I wish. <laughs> That's hateful. But I have, this is worse than the snoring. I have what's called night terrors. Does anybody know what night terrors is? That's terrible, man, isn't it? It's like I'm seeing stuff in the room. The dream's over, but you're, you're still in it. I'm punching and strangling, and it's my wife. It's no good. And she's like, if I'm not going to get any sleep with the snoring and the night terrors, I'm having some fun. She started putting on, like, scary movies when I come to bed, <laughs> like slasher films. That's not cool. Jason Voorhees in my bedroom. And I know this is a church and everything, but nobody's going to judge. Like, who will admit they watch, like, scary movies? Who likes the horror films? I mean, like those hell, 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 hell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody can decide that but your pastor. Let's move on. But she does. She hangs her outfit on the door for the next day. Maybe some of you ladies do that. You need to stop doing that. You're scaring people. Because I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like shirt, skirt, shoes, in the shape of a person. I said, you've got to stop doing that. She's like, there's nothing on top, you moron. I said, which one is scarier to you, Okay. A stranger in my room at night or a stranger in my room at night with no head wearing my wife's clothes? It's horrifying. She started taking this stuff at night to sleep called Z-Quil. You guys seen this? Z-Quil from the makers of NyQuil. Because what, NyQuil isn't already 80 proof? What are we doing, Clarksville? Here's the commercial for Z-Quil if you've never seen it before. Hey, let's say you're not sick at all. But you just want to lay down for a long, long time. Sequel. Like, sweetie, call it what it is, all right? Booze and snooze. That's what it is. Weirdo. But she's great, man. 
I'm trying to figure out like how to give her better gifts now because I'm, I'm out of ideas. Some of you guys have been married a long time like I have, man. It's like, we're out of Valentine's Day, birthdays, Christmas. I'm done. I don't know what else to do. Another piece of jewelry. It's like, I'm out of ideas. And we get pressure on us now from social media, right, guys? Like, every day, there's some punk that'll send me, they'll share a video, and it'll be some dude proposing to his girlfriend in a hot air balloon, making me feel like a chump. I'm romantic. But they send you ideas, gift ideas, promoted statuses. And one of them the other day was, for $59, have you seen this? For $59, you can name a star after a loved one for $59. I was like, yeah, or for $0. You can just tell them you did. (laughs) You got an inkjet printer. You can make up all kinds of certificates. That's what I found out. (laughs) You see that one that says Alpha Centauri? Mm Mm-mm. That one's Janet. I love you. <laughs> but I'm trying to be more present in my marriage, you know? And uh, for me, that means putting down my phone and listening to my wife. Man, we've got to put these phones down. We're too addicted to these dumb devices. And I had a moment the other day, I realized it's out of control. I was in the bathroom doing my business. And then I suddenly realized I don't have my cell phone with me. You ever have that panic attack? What am I going to do now? I was grabbing any reading material, shampoo bottle, conditioner bottle. I was playing Tetris with the floor tiles. And then I grabbed the Q-tip box. You ever, you ever read the Q-tip box? Anybody? Don't do it. It'll shake you to your very core. You read that box, you'll realize, I've been cleaning my ears wrong my entire life. I read that Q-tip box. It, I was like, what? It says this, the first instruction, do not insert Q-tip into ear canal. I said, what? Guys, I've been cleaning my ears for 30 years, and by that I mean I stick a Q-tip all the way into my ear until I touch what I can only imagine is my brain. And then I twist it until I go cross-eyed, and then I pull it out and pray there's not blood. That's how you use a Q-tip. I don't know. But I'm trying to lose weight. That's what I'm trying to do for my marriage, so I'm trying to stay in better shape. You know, you want to stay attractive for your spouse. That's fine. We put pressure on ourselves. It's hard, man. It's hard to lose weight. And I think I, one thing I don't do is over-spiritualize it. Like, everybody's got that one church person that wants to blame everything on the devil, even stuff that's their fault, clearly. There's a dude at my church. He's like, Johnny, pray, man. Devil's out to get me this week. I tell you what, I got another ticket. Like, dude, you were doing 90 in a school zone. All right, that's not the devil. Slow down. Same dude. He's bigger than me. He struggles with his weight, you know. He's like, Johnny, pray, man. I feel like my self-control is under attack. I'm under attack. (laughs) Like, dude, I saw you at the buffet. That plate of ribs was under attack. All right, you had shrapnel coming off the side like a tree chipper. I saw sparks. But I do dumb diets. I I start the year with big dumb diets. That's my big thing. And then by, by March or April, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. But I always try. I have to try to get going, you know. Like last year, my big dumb diet was the food pyramid. Remember the food pyramid we learned when we were kids? I was like, well, let's go back to that, you know? And I couldn't remember how it went. I could not find anything about it. I was like, do I get, I get lunch money from two kids underneath me, then they get two kids? I couldn't remember. <laughs> but I know that food pyramid had dairy on it. I was like, well, dairy, that's not even good for you. We know that as adults. Dairy's terrible for you. But I was like, I'm doing this food pyramid. And I was drinking these milkshakes at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I was like, that's my dairy group. And then I started going to Chick-fil-A, and then they started putting the calories on the menu board. Have you noticed that when you pull up to the drive-thru? It doesn't just have the prices. It has, like, what you're about to do to yourself, fatty. You feel bad immediately. 
Because it turns out these milkshakes I've been drinking are 1,300 calories in a drink. Guys, <laughs> it was all I could do to finish the second one. These things are thick. But Chick-fil-A is tempting, man. It's the Lord's chicken. It's Jesus' chicken. They're closed today. Don't even try going. They love the Lord. That's how you know it. They're closed today. Maybe they're just lazy. Anybody thought of that? Nobody? I love Chick-fil-A, though. Chicken biscuits for breakfast? Fried chicken for breakfast? That's America right there. Take that, Al-Qaeda. But they got a menu item at Chick-fil-A I was not on board with, and it surprised me. Saw this the other day. Have you seen this for breakfast? The chicken and egg biscuit. Chicken and egg together. Anybody else think we've crossed a line somewhere? I love chicken, but that's like saying the chicken, I will eat you and your unborn fetus. Get in here. I will wipe your family out, then I'm going to go to work. I feel nothing inside. That is, that is an angry sandwich. That's all I'm saying. That is angry. You talk about killing two birds. That's too many jokes. It's too early. It's the early service. I'm sorry. I don't know. But we're weird about food. We have a standard of beauty that we love in this country. Everybody wants to be beautiful. And so it, it translates to what we'll eat. Like I went on a missions trip to Southeast Asia. That's a weird place. They eat dogs and cats there, right? People are freaking out. Why would they do this? What a bunch of savages. No, because we don't fry up cute stuff here. We got rules. It's got to be kind of funny looking. That's the rule. And think about it. The funnier looking the animal is here, the meaner we'll be to it. We don't even think about it. You sit down to a lobster dinner. You're like, looks like a bug. Boil him alive. And I can't do lobster anymore. I had an experience. I used to love lobster. A buddy of mine made lobster for me at his house. You ever have that? happen? He's five feet from me in the kitchen. So I hear the sound of the lobster going down into the pot. This whistling, screaming sound came out. I was like, I'm out of here. He comes out all defensive. Johnny, settle down. First of all, that's not a scream. That's just a physiological reaction. That's just air escaping. Air is escaping. I said, that's what a scream is. <laughs> but we're weird about it, man. And we all have coping skills, you know, like, uh, you know, my wife, she has all these vegetarian friends, and I'll, I don't want to leave you guys out if you're vegetarians here. Vegetarians, it's nice. Whatever you do, just don't bring it on me. Eat whatever you want to eat. I don't want to hear about it, you know, because sometimes they're judgmental. We go to Cracker Barrel after church last Sunday. My wife and I, she wants to bring her friend along who I know is a vegetarian. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. She, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Sure enough, I'm feeling her judgment on me. I can feel her eyes on me as I have my old-timer's breakfast holding my piece of bacon like a gentleman. Finally, I just go, what? She's like, do you have any idea how they make that? I was like, I don't, but you tell them they're nailing it because <laughs> this is like a hug from Jesus is what this is. This is proof he loves me. And if you're a vegetarian here this morning, please don't be offended. This is church. We want you to feel welcome. Please don't be offended. I mean, I'm not afraid of you charging the stage and attacking me. You're far too weak. What I'm saying is like, don't, don't try to get up. It's a lot of steps. <laughs> but I'm with you vegetarians on this. I think we all have coping skills in our culture that have to do with our standard of beauty and this obsession with beauty. I'll give you an example. Even us meat eaters, we change the name of the meat the cuter the animal gets. What's that about? That's a coping skill, clearly. Think about it. Chicken meat is just chicken. Fish meat is fish. Why? They're ugly and beady-eyed. Kick them in the face. We don't care. <laughs> we get to cows, we start changing that name. Something We're like, cows are cute. Look at them. Beef. This one's beef. Everybody on board? Beef. It's what's for dinner. 
This isn't deer, Lord, no, venison, enjoy that venison. I made that, that's venison now. <laughs> this isn't raccoon, this is a McRib. We changed the names. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, is that true? I found this out, Austin P University, you know, right around the corner from you guys. A chemistry major at Austin P. A couple of years ago, did a study on all the chemicals and some of the fast food, right? It made national news because she found an ingredient in McRibs also used to make exercise mats. That is true. That is so gross. And if you're in here this morning and you eat McRibs, you're probably like, what is an exercise mat? All right, well, I've only got a few more minutes. I want to play a little music for you guys. Okay, I played a little guitar this morning for you guys. I brought it, and uh, so, okay, all right, one person. Thank you for that <laughs> sitting ovation. Don't lose that energy. Uh, um, what can I do for you? Well, this is, uh, this is one I just wrote. Uh, it's uh, dedicated to the newlyweds. I, I've been going on 23 years. When you first get married, there's something about it. I don't know if we have any newly married people here, less than a year, but, oh, we do. Okay, great. Here's the thing, man. There's an energy to it. You just feel like it's us versus the world. You're going to live on love and take on the world. And so this song's dedicated to you guys uh, that are out there newly married. It's about living on love. Baby, we got all we need to survive. Because we got each other and we're doing just fine. So take my hand and walk through the night. One's got a kind of a dark ending. I, uh... <laughs> I like country music. Uh, I got into country music late in life. I don't like new country. Give me old country. Give me Conway Twitty. Give me some Merle Haggard. Give me some Johnny Cash. Give me some Dolly. That's country. This new stuff, I don't know what they're doing. They're just stringing cliches over music and calling that country. It ain't. You turn on new country radio on your way home from church, you hear a song like this. She never heard the word impossible. She don't know the meaning of many words at all. She's stupid. That's that's offensive. Um, <laughs> like I said, I started out playing in church, man. That's how I got started playing in the worship band at church. Now I do Sunday mornings like this. Sometimes the worship band will be doing songs I don't know. I'll be on the front row. You know, but you guys have the words on the screen. It helps me out. Sometimes I'm in a church, they don't have the words on the screen, and I just look like a big goober not participating. So I've learned over the years just to sing out, you know, what I think they're singing. Don't do that. Mess you up, you know. So in a church about four years ago, they were doing a brand new song, you know. I know it now. I didn't know it then. It's a very popular song now. It's called Oh How He Loves Us. You guys know that song? Oh How. Very beautiful. If you don't know it, it goes like this. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. Well, that's beautiful. Y'all, that's like poetry. But that ain't what I heard. It's not what I sang. So it's like, he is Muhammad Ali. Floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. They asked me to leave, all right? They taste me. My feelings. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
But I did. I loved growing up in church. One thing about growing up in church, and I know this is some, you know, this is kind of a, an alternate site and kind of a, a cool concept church. So we may have people in, that haven't been in church very long, or they're new believers. Man, I envy that. I really do because I grew up in church. I felt like after, by the time I was uh, an adult or even in youth group, man, I had started like I knew the drill, I knew the rules, I knew how to, uh, you know, say what I needed to say to make you believe that I was a strong Christian. And my main thing is that I would, I knew that I could be a strong Christian in your eyes, if I just thought I was better off than somebody else. Like, that's how we do with comparative righteousness. Like, well, I'm better off than that guy, so me and the Lord must be tight. And I, that's how I live my life, this self-righteousness. I think self-righteousness in the church today is a bigger problem than unrighteousness. I really do. Self-righteous people don't even know they need saved, you know? That's why God says he'd rather you be hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, he's got no use for you. He can't even reach you. He's got no use uh, for lukewarm people. And so that's what I was, man. I was a self-righteous person. I could decide who you were based on what music you listened to, what movies you went to. I would do these judgments. I'm better than that person. I'm doing okay. I heard this story uh, when I was in my uh, college years, and it changed my life. It's an old story about two brothers. They lived in a small town. They were the most wicked brothers in the town. Everybody knew their business, and everybody knew these brothers were no good, up to no good. One of the brothers dies, and the other brothers comes to the church. He asked the pastor, hey, my brother passed away, obviously. You knew about that, and I want you to do the funeral. He says, yeah, I can do the funeral. He says, I want you to do the eulogy in the funeral. He goes, yeah, I can do that too. He says, well, in the eulogy of the funeral, I want you to say my brother was a saint. He's like, I can't. Are you crazy? I can't lie to these people, you know? Everybody knows your brother's up to no good all the time. You're, he's always stealing and robbing people, and he's just doing wrong. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, if you'll say my brother was a saint in the eulogy, I will make a large donation to your new youth facility. The pastor says, I think I can figure out a way. <laughs> so now it's the day of the funeral. The casket's right here in front of the stage, you know? Pastor walks out. He takes the mic. He says, Below me in this casket is the most wicked person I've ever known. He woke up every day and did more wrong than the day before. Uh, he lied, he cheated, he stole. But compared to his brother, <laughs> he was a saint. And now when I heard that story, I don't know what it was, but it just jarred me. I realized, I was like, I'm a saint compared to who? That's not, how, that's not how it works, man. Our, our wrong choices take, took us away from a holy God, and we need this Savior. And I was just like walking around thinking I just had it together because I'd, I'd figured out a way. That's the hard problem about me and men. I know it's Father's Day, and, and we're raised in this culture as men to kind of figure it out and pull ourselves together. And then the gospel's so anterior to that. It says you cannot fix it. You can't do it on your own. You're hopelessly lost, and you need a Savior. And so the gospel's just this strange message, you know? And so, but I was walking around thinking I was doing better and, and I was withholding forgiveness from people because I thought, well, I hadn't really received that much grace. It didn't take that much grace to save me. I was a good church kid. Now the person, the drug addict down the street, he needed a lot of grace. I didn't need that much grace. So wrongheaded. And that's why I didn't offer forgiveness. You know, I didn't grow up with a good dad. So Father's Day is a hard day for me. My dad was just not around. And it, he was an alcoholic. He was verbally abusive. It took me a long time to forgive my dad. And, uh, but I'll tell you when I finally did, it was like I opened a prison door and set myself free. When I finally was able to forgive him. If you have unforgiveness against somebody, maybe that's somebody sitting next to you. That's how it is in church sometimes. We're holding these, these wrongs, these perceived wrongs against each other. And it, it divides us. It keeps us from having a relationship with God that we should have. So whenever I'm in church, we're gonna close in a minute. I wanna take a minute, we're gonna pray. And one of the things I like to do is I like to take five seconds and we just forgive the people around us, maybe people that aren't here, maybe people that are dead and gone like my dad. My dad was dead before I forgave him. You know, I never got an apology. 
We never made things right in the way that you see in the movies where we hug it out. I just had to let it go. It still set me free. It still was freedom. And I urge you to do that today. The other thing I would say to you is, uh, before I go, is don't give up. I hope you're encouraged today. I hope we could laugh a little bit together. But the main thing is, I know we got a lot of Christians, some lifers like me. I feel like I came out of the womb and we went straight to church. And uh, sometimes that makes you weary because you're just like, I know the drill. The guy's going to get up and do two songs and then we're going to do that. And you just become weary, man. Some people work at this church and they're weary. And sometimes that's when you burn out, man. You just become weary. And, and I would say don't give up. I uh, had a, a kid in my college ministry. Um, uh, he committed suicide on Monday night. And we buried him yesterday. And I gave the eulogy at his funeral. And it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. Uh, and this was a person who had everything to live for. And uh, there's just a deep sadness uh, that's going around. He was 27 years old. There's no reason. Uh, we couldn't figure it out. And I would say to you, uh, don't give up today. I ran a half marathon eight years ago. I know it doesn't look like it because the, min- the minute I stopped running, I began funneling in gravy. That's my, that's my new workout plan. But I ran this half marathon with my buddy John. We're going to run together. We're going to keep up with each other. And we finished the race. That was our only goal. Don't run off and leave me. We're going to stay together. We're going to finish the race. We finished the race 243 and 244. That was our place. I said, well, who was behind us? Surely. So we look on the, the, you know, the little uh, results the next day that they had published, and it was 258. I was like, that's not good. <laughs> we were not, we didn't do good. But then I'm trying to motivate myself again to go running, you know, because I'm like, I need to get back in shape this year. So I went and found those race results again. I was going to figure out what my time was. I, I was going to put it on the wall and like try to beat my old half marathon time. So I saw 243, 244, 258 runners. And then I saw a number at the bottom I'd never seen before. And it was how many people started the race but didn't finish it. And it was over 300 people. And I called my buddy John. I was all excited. I said, John, do you remember that race? He said, yeah. I said, we finished ahead of everybody that quit. He who endures to the end will be saved. This is an endurance race. And we need each other. We got to forgive each other. And just hang on, hang on, because it gets better. I promise you. Let's pray together this morning, okay? God, we just thank you for your love. I thank you for your sacrifice that you sent that we could never hope to earn. God, we we don't deserve it and we can't fix ourselves. But you made a way, you made a way of escape for the punishment for our actions, God. And I just, I'm so grateful this morning that you make all things new and that you have promised us a life more abundantly here, not just in heaven. You promised us you give us life here. And that same power that raised you from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies. And I pray that over this group this morning, that they would have a renewed energy and encouragement, God, that they would encourage each other, they would forgive each other. I want to take five seconds in this prayer before we go, and I want you to take uh, that five seconds and just whisper to yourself a a prayer of forgiveness uh, for the people around you that have done you wrong. So take five seconds and do that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness, and thank you that we can extend that same grace to other people around us. We're going to be so careful to give you all the credit for everything that's done in this place and in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for having me. Y'all are wonderful. Amen. Y'all give it up for Johnny. He's got...
some t-shirts and DVDs, CDs out in the hallway here. Please make sure you stop by, see his table. We love you guys. Have a great Father's Day, men. Go be the church. <laughs>